I've been uh, lucky enough to work with Americans on many occasions over the last 20 years. <laughs> but wait, lucky, lucky enough? <laughs> yeah, the first thing that comes to Rob in my mind is, yeah, that, that's, that's not necessarily luck. That's misfortune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for about five years, they were convinced I was Australian. And ah. so I had to constantly modify my accent yeah. to become... Uh, that would be awesome, though. Uh, can we tell people you're from Australia? No, that would no, be, because they'll that. know. People are going to know. Australian, I, I think, is difficult to imitate correctly. Am I right? Like, to really it, do it? It really is. I, I mean, I'm from the north of England. I, I grew up in between Manchester and Liverpool. But people from the south of England sometimes can sound Australian. They, they have a little more of a twang to their... right. Just like Southern right. Americans do, just like my own little Southern yeah. accent. I'll do my best not to say anything horrible. Yeah, but you never know. I don't want to. I don't want to stop you from saying you know anything. <laughs> uh, I, I'd have to be careful if I said uh, if I quoted Kopi too much. That would Ooh, be the big yeah. risk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. A lot of a lot of. Uh, well, you know, um, he's not as bad as Morrissey, right? If you quote Morrissey, you really could. Uh, not as bad. <laughs> yeah, that would be. It. I, I would be like, thank God for lockdown. I can't go out anymore. <laughs> yeah. People throwing I, I, rotten fruit at you. <laughs> That's good though, man. I like that. That's a good. Not as bad as Morrissey. Yeah. <laughs> That's that, a bar. That's, That's gonna bar. appear in a meme. Rob's gonna make a meme of us. Not as bad. We're not as bad as Morrissey. All right, let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Uh, wait, let me get my thing here. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. And that is Rob Elba. We are so happy to be with you again, remotely. Once again, we're remote. We go back and forth, you know, because we want to keep uh, we want to keep you on your proverbial <laughs> toes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We Barry, we have new patrons. I have three new patrons to do a shout-out to. Excellent. Let's welcome Daniel... Why not? Daniel Why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why I know not? who Daniel Why not is. Yeah. Uh, Danny B, who I I assume he just wants to be known as Danny B, because some some believe it or not, some people don't want to be that associated with us. Uh-huh. Right, where they want. Yeah, we've discovered right. that, and I can understand. Right. And then we have Chris Rosendahl. So uh, welcome, uh, Daniel, Danny B, and Chris Rosendahl uh, to the uh, that record got me high Patreon family. You could go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron of the show yourself. And uh, it's nice. Me and Barry, Barry, we're both patrons of other things we now. Are, yeah. we, we, yep. And it's tonight. If it's something that you listen to and you do, you want to support a little, that's and a good way to do there's it. There's things that I need to be a patron of that I feel guilty about that I, I will, it, you know, the yeah, next time that. I go there, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger okay. because I owe these people. All right. So continuing. Our um, European, uh, our our European month, Barry. We have a we have a guest today, and it's another uh, gentleman from across the pond. Yes, um, uh, he's not doing a fake accent. This is his <laughs> accent. Welcome to the show, Mr. Gary Pennington. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thank you, thank you, Rob. And you've got my name spot on. Oh, no. good. I had a feeling. I went for it. Sometimes we have to get. <laughs> there was himself. no mystery about Gary Pennington. I have to say. <laughs> There's, we didn't need you to introduce yourself because we didn't weren't sure how you pronounced it. So, uh, I've had some interesting variations over the years, but yeah, Gary Pennington. That's that's good. Ah, very good. And where is and, and yeah, there there must have been a place called Pennington, 
right? There is there is indeed a place called Pennington, um, and it it's not that far away from where I grew up. And uh, there was a Pennington Hall where the gentry used to live, uh-huh. which weren't my family. No, by the way. Uh-uh. I think we came from under the stairs. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Gary, you actually you you went back and forth. You mentioned some records, but what is the record you finally uh, brought to the table that you decided to bring to the table? What are we doing today? So, I like you say, I had a few choices in mind, um, and uh, I decided to go for Kilimanjaro by the Tirup Explodes. Excellent choice. Oh, so Barry, so you were familiar with this already? Because I yeah, wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard of the Tirup Drop Explodes, and of course, I knew. Um, I knew uh, what's his face, uh, <laughs> Julian Cope. Julian I knew Cope, from his solo. Yes. His his reputation precedes him. Yes. I just I knew his uh, music, uh, and and then in, in actually listening to this, I realized I had heard oh, some yeah. of his back sure. in the day. Um, yeah. So all right. So Gary, what made this record? Obviously, had a big. Uh, it, it came out on uh, 1980, so uh, October 1980, and they were a. Liverpool band, right? Yes. So okay. I, I grew up in, in Northern England, uh, in between Manchester and Liverpool, uh, in a place called Wigan, which actually was a, is a backwater. George Orwell wrote a, a book about it, and the nature of the book was what a dreadful place Wigan is and how, how poor <laughs> what, the people are. What, what, or, what Orwell book is that? The Road to Wigan Pier. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> I might actually, yeah, so I might actually it, investigate that based on your recommendation. <laughs> you well, the book's good, but you right. know, you're definitely left with the impression that the the good the place is bigger. The book's better than the place, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, do you know what? I, I can't go back to Wigan now, can I? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're. That's it. <laughs> I've blown it. But um, goodbye to all no, that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I kissed it goodbye. But um, uh, well, well, Wigan was was a, a nice-ish place, but. I was 16 in 1980, and that's kind of a, an important year mm. for people in the UK. Probably important for people all over the world, but it's a bit where you kind of you have to decide: Am I going to try and pretend to be an academic, or am I going to get a job and earn a living? Yeah, right. And <laughs> I, I chose to try and pretend to be an academic, which is you go to this thing called sixth form, and you do two years of studying and trying to get into university. I okay. guess it's like. High school for you guys? Yes, probably 11th and 12th grade of high school here, yeah. Right. So, I'd up until that time, I'd been listening to a lot of like punk rock music and what gradually became known as new wave. And uh, I was listening to bands like uh, Slaughter and the Dogs, mm-hmm. uh, Elvis Costello, The Jam, The Sex Pistols, The Clash. The Biggies, right. yes. Um... And then over that summer, I kind of started noticing that there were a lot of bands coming out of Manchester and out of Liverpool. Yeah. Um, Joy Division, uh, The Buzzcocks, yeah. The Fall, right. Magazine. Yeah, famously, famously, all the people that saw the Sex Pistols show, the Free Trade Union Hall show, that was the story. Correct. They were all there. Yeah, I, I was probably in English class, I think. I was just a little bit too young. Right, um, right. 13 or 14 or yeah. whatever. So, uh, and I, I was like, it was 10 miles to Manchester, 20 miles to Liverpool. And so that was all going on in Manchester. And then over in Liverpool, Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. The Teardrop Explodes. All these kind of exotic names. Yeah. And so I, what I was, I went into Manchester one day and 
uh, just out of nowhere, out of nothing, I picked up an Echo and the Bunnymen album, Crocodiles, took it home and realized that I loved it. And it yeah. was the greatest thing ever. Oh, I know. That's um, great. I love that. <laughs> yes, right. It's record. And then when I started learning about Echo and the Bunnymen, they were often mentioning this other band, the Terrific Explodes. Mm-hmm. And within three or four months, they released their first album. Once more, I trekked to Manchester to buy it. <laughs> and... Uh, I just absolutely loved it. I, yeah. I got the. I, 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 don't, I don't know if you have seen the original sleeve, but the original sleeve, there's a picture of the band on the front of it, and they're kind of staring. It's almost like they're staring out of the album at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really dark. Yeah, very dark. Yeah. Uh, underlit. Yes. Yes. And so I took it home and I, I lay on my bed, you know, put it on the record player, started listening to it, and I was like, look at these guys staring out of the album at me, and, and the inside <laughs> sleeves packed full of information. Right. And most of the stuff I'd been listening to till then was, you know, very guitar, very aggressive. Yeah. And then it kicks off with trumpets and yeah. <laughs> keyboards. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> you know? yeah. That's what that's what I was going to say. It's actually amazing to me how, even though it just came out... Uh, at the beginning, uh, well, it came out in 1980, yeah. and they were they formed in 1978. But it sounds so 80s, it you know. Does. It's got that 80s well, sound, it's, right? It is the, the template. I think this record, um, amongst a few others, is really a template for how things were going to go moving forward right. sonically. Because yeah, it's very different when you go when you hear this record now. You go, oh, that came out in 83 or 84. And then when you go back and was like, oh, this was recorded in right seventy nine and came out in eighty, they were um, they were at the forefront of this particular sound, it you know in a pretty uh, um, singular way. Yeah, exactly. And it was a, a complete new thing for me. Yeah, nothing's really new anymore, is it? But it was a, it right. was a yeah. new thing for me. And uh, as as I listened to it, I was absolutely. I mean, the, the only word for it is entranced. In the in the way that you can only be entranced when you're 16, right? Yeah. I know, right. It's yeah. true. It really is true. And a lot of people, it's funny, a lot of people in the records they bring, it ends up being something that they discovered like right around that age in their, in their teens, oh, you yeah. know, because that's just, that's when music just has this effect on you and grabs you that's just not going to happen when you're older. You know, you can still lo- like stuff and really get into it, but it's just not the same when you just, like you said, laying there staring at the, you know, the album cover and listening to it over and over again. You know, that's something that only a teenager has time, that much time to... to, to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. right. Get endlessly perusing the liner notes, trying to derive <laughs> some kind of meaning out of the... Doubtless, Julian Cope did not spend too much time thinking about the liner notes. No, no, no. <laughs> no one near as much time as I did. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well... As we, so, as we, as they, as is discussed, you know, pr- fairly frequently with, uh, in relation to Julian Cope, that the teardrop explodes had a, a penchant for, uh, um, particular, the psychedelic drugs was their, uh, was their, uh, thing, or at least it was his thing. And so his career over time became more and more a, just a soup of things done under the influence of psychedelic drugs. Right. Although, the interesting thing, I mean, yeah, I read he wrote a book some years ago, I think in the early '90s, called Head On, right. which was a, a kind of autobiography of that time. 
And he said at that time that, you know, he used to be fairly uptight. And when they first started, he didn't do any drugs. He had okay. a policy of no drugs. Right. And then uh, one of the guitarists, like, introduced him to the drugs, right? I forget. What was it? Um... Alan Gill. Oh, it was Alan yeah. Gill. Okay. Alan Gill, the cosmic mystic, as he introduced him. Uh, who uh, I think introduced him to LSD and uh, cannabis, and I right. think uh, you know he went from uptight to loose to slack. I believe is the quote. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that talk. sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and you had mentioned uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, and uh, Julian Cope was in a band, his first band, uh, the Crucial Three, that was with uh, Ian uh, McCulloch from. Uh, Echo the Bunnyman, but but just in reading about Julian Cope, it it, it you you realize that th- th- those two men couldn't have been in the same band no. together because yeah they they definitely had to have their own bands. It, um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you just, go. just talk over us. Come, <laughs> yeah, uh, you kept. Um, so uh, Gary, you've you've kept up with uh, Julian Cope's career, obviously, right? You're a fan, and you're you've been like a fan ever since of him. I'm I'm sure, right? Because you had mentioned yeah. that you were you had plans to go see him. I guess those plans fell through, right? With with the way everything happened. Uh, lockdown in the UK occurred the week before the Julian Cope. Uh, <laughs> So disappointing for me, but um, I'm sure he'll be touring again soon enough. Um, yeah, uh, I think one of those things. I think I'm a similar age to you guys, right? I, I, yeah, you are. Things you've said on the show. Yeah, um, it, the people that you like when you're very young, you, you, it depends. The ones who stick with you, stick with who keep going. Um, you still like them, yeah. but you right. don't talk about it much, right? You, you don't. You, it's one of those things. You like them, but it's just it's part of you. It's like yes. the other thing you do. And so over the years, I've been to see Julian Cope very, very many times. But then, as I thought about it, I, I hadn't actually been to see him play live for about ten or fifteen years. Um, and so I was chatting with my wife last October and uh, said, "Oh, you know, Cope's touring. We should go and see him." And so. Uh, it was going to be the first time that she'd seen Julian Cope, mm-hmm. so I was I was looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, not that's not to be. Well, it's been put off for another year anyway. Let's put it on. Yeah. Well, from a public from a public safety, if it if the show was a week after the lockdown, probably not the worst thing that it did get that it did happen post lockdown. Considering yeah. being exposed to a crowd of people a week earlier might not have been the greatest thing. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you're you're right. It it, it was good luck, really, not bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> so is so, he? Um, I, I wanted to ask. He has a, his reputation as being somewhat, uh, at least in his recorded output, as being somewhat er- erratic or at least uh, perplexing. Are his live performances um, in the same c- category where you sometimes you don't exactly know? Uh, what's going to go on or if it's going to be coherent or incoherent or is it pretty much he knows he's performing for you know an, an audience of a, i just say a paid audience and he's going to you know perform, do some sort of performance that is uh rewarding for that audience yes um it is don't go there if you want to hear the hits of the teardrop explodes right because that's not what you're going to get 
Um, and it, and he, I think he has been. I think he has said that he finds it quite hard to remember some of those songs, you know, <laughs> and uh, to recreate them. Yeah, uh, which is understandable. It's um, been a long time. Right, exactly. But he will do things like there will be Tear Up Explode songs, and he'll play them on an acoustic guitar. Okay. Okay. Loose, that's nice. Loosely, loosely accompanied. So um, it's not, you know, because I, I, in my mind I sort of equate him, and this is probably not fair to either person, but I sort of equate him to Scott Walker, and you know which Scott Walker I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Who got gradually more bizarre as the years went on, and um, I don't know if Cope falls in particularly that a category of doing things quite as. Um, out there as Scott Walker did, but you know, I, I just was wondering. You know, when you show up, you say, "Okay, well, he's not gonna. It's not gonna be a drug-addled, incoherent mess," is what I'm asking. No, not at all. In fact, Great. he's uh, he's remarkably coherent. Um, but I think he, it would be fair to say he's not interested in re-exploring things that have happened to him in the past. He likes yeah. to be pushing the boundary forward. Right. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Neil Young in that sense. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. It's funny. I actually found a really good quote from him uh, in 2000. Uh, he was asked in 2000 if the teardrop explodes would ever get back together. And he said, would you ever return to having your mother wipe your asshole? <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds yeah. like someone that's not interested in going through it in the past. And if the answer, right. and if the answer is yes, <laughs> you need to seek counseling. Well, you <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and, and I think. I'm trying to think when it was. It would be about five years ago, or maybe a bit longer. One of the British music magazines wanted to give an award to the band, you know. And um, I think right up until the very day of the award ceremony, I think he was sort of giving the indication that he would be there. They said, oh, he's coming, he'll be there. And then he didn't show up. He didn't didn't show up. (laughs) But... Yeah, it, the thing, it, like I say, one of the things that I've always found unusual about Julian Cope is that I, I've always been a fan, clearly, but over the years I've made the mistake of taking friends of mine who like similar things to me yeah. <laughs> to go and see Julian Cope, yeah. and invariably they come out of that experience. Yeah, perplexed at best. At best, confused. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, I, well, yeah, I would think it, uh, just a casual, a casual reading, you would know. Uh, you know, investigation. You would know you're not. It's not, it's not going to be ordinary, and that's great. Um, and uh, you know, he wrote. A, he's re, he wrote a fairly well known uh, book about kraut rock, which he's quite a fan of. And so he's obviously there's there's you know a scholarly bent there a little bit at least because that's uh, um, you know when people talk about oh well that you know Julian Cope's book it's it's in there so. Um, and um, I think he probably introduced a lot of people to that particular genre just based on the fact of who he is and his reputation. And, oh, well, what is what is this, you know? Especially over here where Krautwalk would not have been uh, particularly anyone paying, you know. Or, or they might know the, the, you know the biggies, but they would not necessarily have uh, dug into it in any um, detail at all. Right, and he, he also wrote a book, um, oh, what was the name of it, um, about 
various different ancient monuments uh, yeah. in the UK because he, he got very interested in things like ley, ley lines and yeah. centers of ancient power and mysticism and spiritualism and uh, it, 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 what's it called now? The, oh, the antiquarian. There's something antiquarian is the name that's going through my head. But it's 20 odd years. The modern antiquarian. There we go. That's the one. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I never bother remembering anything anymore. It's okay. Um, yeah, right. No need. No, what's the point? Me and Barry usually just make shit up. <laughs> right. yeah. As we go along. All right, so let's try. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get into this record. Uh, let's get into the first track and listen to the first track is "Ha Ha, I'm Drowning." grabs me about that song is that explosive set of chords at the end of the verse which is r- r- really they're really sort of harmonically really unusual um because the rest yeah of the- and it yeah and and, and that kind of makes it kind of elevates it from just your standard oh, yeah. like 80s sounding new wave thing right. yeah i was thinking the same thing yeah. with that, but with remember like we said that, that 80s sounding new wave thing they're creating that. Right, right, right. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know what else is crazy, Barry? There are our horn players are credited. The trumpets are credited to two guys, but those sound like synthetic. They don't even sound like real horns, but I guess they are. But it's so funny that that they they're sound mic'd fake and they almost. sound well because we got used to the eighties. There was synthesizers that made that trumpet sound, and you got right, you right. got used to that particular thing. These just happen to be the. Either the predecessor for that, or just coincidentally mic'd and EQ'd the way to give them the same. It's a there's that in the '80s there was this uh, trend towards the the low end becomes a little bit thin and things get a little treblier and, and a little more uh, brighter, sp- sparsely mixed, so that you're very you can very clearly uh, hear what's going on everywhere. That's not all sort of a, a mishmash. Now, uh, Gary, you first heard this. You were you were on board right away, like right. You liked this right from the from the start. Right from the start, it really grabs you. It's just a. Uh, it's such a, a brilliant. I don't know how. It, it's hard to kind of articulate it, but that diddlum dum diddlum dum diddlum dum. It just right. does that. It's like oh yeah. Well, this it's is out great. of nowhere because you're 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 waiting for. It's just a you know. It's a riff in E, basically, which is a, a right. pop thing, you know, an E minor. And suddenly you get this uh, jazz, basically jazz break 
in the song chordwise, which is uh, brilliant and totally yeah. unexpected. And there's a few of these scattered throughout the record. So I tried, I picked up my guitar today because I, I play my guitar a bit in my yeah. spare time of different bits and pieces. And I thought to myself, you know, what? I've never actually tried learning any yeah. Tudor Explode songs. And um, I, I got, you know, E minor, yeah, and I've got that sequence going up from G and I can kind of figure out roughly what's going on. But then it made me realize, actually, this song and this entire album is basically a drum and bass album with some keyboards. Yeah. There's very uh, little guitar on it. There's, right, well, right. There, there is guitar on it, but there's no distorted guitar. There's no guitar right. distortion. It's all clean, which, oddly enough, would reappear not too long after, or it was already appearing, actually, in um, bands from Athens, Georgia here, had sort of this, and I'm going to chalk it up. I'm going to say there's a, a Bird's influence, basically, uh, on this and the guitar, the way the guitar sounds, um, and that's that. I think that's what's going on. It sounds like a Rickenbacker guitar, and it sounds like through a Fender amp or, or, or a clean amp. So it's um, it's a different sound. There's no um, no distortion, and that's um, uh, uh, unusual because that punk rock, obviously, you, you know, get dis- disordered guitars were the thing, and. Uh, uh, to suddenly go this sort of retro all the way back to 19, you know, 66, 67 um, was, uh, um, must have been a conscious choice. Yeah, definitely. And, and a kind of funky sound as well, I, I felt. You know, yeah, the yeah. Way oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The rhythm, the rhythm section with the funky under- underpinning and, uh, uh, um, yeah, it's really cool. And you that and wh- where does that chord? Sh- I thought about picking up my guitar and trying to figure it out. It starts on it's like it's like a G minor, but they're minor chords ascending, which makes it strange. They're because um, they just go like G, it's like G, G, G A B flat C. I think. Yeah, yeah, like right. That, yeah, you know? yeah. It's whoever whoever and and we should also mention that there was a personnel changes during the recording of this record right it was not it yeah. sounds coherent but when you investigate it it turns out it was it's a patchwork of things right yeah and so again you know going back to 16 year old me 16 16 year old me used to think why do bands ever split up whereas 56 year old me thinks how do bands <laughs> how ever, ever stay, stay together, together. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's brilliant ask Rob Elba can help you with that uh, answer <laughs> it's not easy <laughs> Uh, and when I when I read the sleeve notes, I was the the very actually detailed sleeve notes, and there's a whole load of asterisks next to different songs, and it's like yes, yeah. you know yes. Mick Finkel played guitar on these ones, and yeah. Alan Gill played the guitar on this one, you yeah, know, and yeah. I, yeah, because Michael, yeah, that guy, uh, Mick uh, Finkler, he was the original. He co-wrote most of those songs, but by the time they were doing this, he was out of the band already. So they uh, and then. Um, Alan Gill re-recorded some of his stuff, but not all of it. So some of it he re-recorded, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like a mishmash of the uh, of the two guys. But and Which shows you, go ahead. Well, Julian Cope was the bass player and the singer, so obviously it's his band. So he's maybe that's also part of why it's such a uh, you know drum bass heavy, and also uh, Julian's voice too is something that sets it all apart because uh, much like how Echo and the Bunny, I mean Ian McCulloch has this distinctive low deep voice julian has this uh 
very icy, clear uh, yeah. way of singing. You know, where he doesn't he, he doesn't put a lot of grit or edge into it, but that's kind of makes it the edge. The fact yeah. that he's singing it's so clear and uh, and uh, and and a little high high pitched. Right, and I think it suits. Probably, I have some theories. We all have theories, don't we? Yeah. I have some theories about the second side of the album, particularly the first few tracks. And I think if you look at a lot of the songs that Cope has written through his career, he, he has a kind of strong connection with concepts like innocence of childhood and like oh know, yes, that's right, yes, going back to childhood. Yeah, and and I think his vo- his voice kind of reflects that a little bit. I think there's a bit of that in it. I see. Yeah. Right. I, like, I like singing nursery rhyme type cadence yes. that yes. kind of thing yeah, yeah 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 and i like i like he throws in the little edge because like this this song it's just sort of the idea that the narrator is kind of disillusioned by the idea of like being in love and falling in love but he doesn't just if he would just say i'm drowning in your love that's kind of cliche but it's i like how he throws the haha in front of it <laughs> yes <laughs> yes aha <laughs> That's clear that he's not really, he doesn't really believe in drowning in anything, you know? It's like, it's like, it's kind of a goof, I think. So, um, yeah. That's pretty brilliant. So, I, like I say, I spent a lot of time reading, reading through the lyrics, right? And this, uh, only being 16, right? Probably a lot of it skimmed straight over my head. But I, it, this one was one of the ones which would seem more straightforward, you know? It was like, well, yeah, it seems yeah, like a, a relationship discussion. Somebody's trying to defend their actions against some kind of right. criticism. It's right. like, you know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really sure what you're complaining about. And then towards the end, things actually, yeah, maybe things are not going very well. <laughs> right, right. Right. One other things I dug around. They say you know Julian Cope's power struggles, and so it seems like it was his band, but he also was. There was a dynamic there where he was. Uh, you know, I don't know. He seemed to be causing the the discord within the band. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. It, I, mean, I mean, before he, he be, before they became the Teardrop Explodes, um, in between being the Crucial Three and the Teardrop Explodes, he'd been through a number of other incarnations. I can't remember the names of all the bands, to be honest, but they were the kind of bedroom bands where, yeah. you know, you, you get together, you write a few lyrics, you maybe have a song, and then you all disagree over who's going to play the bass <laughs> and who's going to sing, and <laughs> you know, that's it. But yeah. I, I did. I did hear an interview with him where uh, he said, you know, one of the things that he was always struggling with was getting other people to commit to do things and to actually turn up to rehearsals. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, t- he said that he got to the point. The last band he was in with Ian McCulloch, they got to the point where they were actually rehearsing in Ian McCulloch's bedroom, and he couldn't be bothered getting out of bed to rehearse. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a- wow. It's a problem. It's a real thing. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. Just it certainly is. <laughs> it is. It rem- All right. It reminds me of uh, the. Uh, you, I know you did felt a few a while mm, back. And yeah. It reminds me of uh, out of the band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. Bye, That's funny. Yes. Um, all right, so let's get now. We definitely get into a little uh, deeper, darker territory, which a lot of these lyrics do. Let's listen to the second song, which happened to be the, which was the first single that they released. Uh, it's called "Sleeping Gas."
That's a, a one chord, uh, pretty much a one chord uh, uh, wonder right there. There's uh, there's two chords and uh, they start and uh, off and they go. just right vamp on just, that. But the sound, when you think this was the first single, this was actually released in February 1979. And when you think about it, this really sounds so. Like I said, it sounds so of what would eventually come in the 80s they yeah. really were uh, yeah. different at 1979 this came out and it's definitely so much different sounding than most of the other stuff that was coming yeah. out of uh, of england then absolutely um I, I i did a bit of reading around as well when i was thinking uh you know yeah. i might i might run out of interesting personal anecdotes <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> i thought i'd better do a bit of research this is Julian Cope's favorite song of Kilimanjaro. Oh, oh really? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's and kind of hard. It's kind of hard to figure out what it actually is about, right? It's yeah. I, I, I can have a stab at it, but I must admit, I, I read it and I enjoyed it, but I had no idea what it was about. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it was like it's, it's some kind of. Maybe he's talking about how difficult it is to make things happen. You know that time, like if you're in, if you're in a point in life and you know you want something, but yeah. you're not really sure exactly what you want, but you know you needed some other people to make it happen. You need a gang. Yes. Uh, and yet you just feel like you're just wandering around. You're kind of wandering around and things are not really happening. It feels a bit like that. It feels a bit like he's going through a kind of process where... You know, he's just observing things, random stuff. Whoever and a, there's a, the voices weave in them out. Are is that both Julian? Is that Julian in both cases just weaving in and out with himself? Uh, yes. The, okay. Yeah. Because I uh, think so. I yeah. think it is anyway. Yeah, it is because he's the only one credited uh, as with vocals, the singing on here. So yeah, it works. It works very well. It's a great, great track. And it does. and the the chord changes is not a you know it's a it's a. Um, just a minor major chord change and the fact that they just stick with it um which i don't know if he was at this point if he was enamored of kraut rock but that sort of just relentless unchanging pace and rhythm uh and, and, and is you know a hallmark of that music yeah i think it, i think it very much was influenced by kraut rock i think you know Duel and, yeah on uh, that kind of Let's see how many times we can keep repeating this. <laughs> <laughs> right, Faust. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Or um, Noi. Not Noi were especially. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it's a great groove, it's it's, it's great. great. Well, know? that's it, the it thing. Works. Yeah, it, it does work. And it does work on this. All right. So now we get another really catchy. That's that's the thing about this record. It is very. It's very early, pleasing, and catchy that sometimes, it, uh, on initial listen, I didn't realize how sophisticated a lot of yeah. it is because it actually is, but it also is very catchy, you know, and it's just very... Uh, it's not uh, It's not going to put anybody off um, by being overly clever, or the cleverness is, is integrated well enough that you, that the casual listener is not going to be like, oh, you know, there's something odd going on there. Um and it was, I think yeah. this, re- this record was, was very popular, as I recall, especially in, in England, right? It, it was. It was. Um, so sometime after they made this album, they had a, a massive hit, massive in the UK anyway, so a, a song called Reward. Um, and 
uh, after that, they re-released Treason as a single. And uh, yes. yeah, that was when it became very popular. Yeah. All right. So, so let's listen to this one right here. This is the third song on here. Let's listen to Treason. Very keyboard driven, and again, that sound. I was just saying, he's right. There's no guitars there. You listen well, to it, it's are, just the bass but they're drums not, and the keyboard. They're not dominating. They are definitely um, in the background, uh, and you can hear them. But they're they're not the foremost instrument in the in the in the ensemble at this point. Right, I, and um, yeah, again, you know, Julian said that. They got to a certain point, and one of the reasons he, he felt like he had to fire Mick Finkler was that he just felt like he wasn't contributing and he wasn't excited about the songs and didn't want it as much of the, as the rest of them. And uh, you know, he tried to G him up, I, I gather, uh, to to put more into it, but this was what it was. And so, you know, th- you hear that kind of thing from Julian Cope, and then other times you hear comments from him like, "Well, the rest of the band were pretty much doing what they were capable of doing." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's not a com- that's not complimentary. <laughs> no, no, and uh, so you know it's somewhere in between those two. Let's say, yeah. Uh, yeah, and for whatever reason, not as much guitar on here as you might have expected at that time. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, that time. Um, uh, lyrics are also very cool. Very simple lyrics in here, but uh, very cool. I like a, a little. Um, um, when he says, I've been living through changes and I could swing for you, I can see the veins mm-hmm. in my hands are showing through. Uh, I like that imagery. There's nice imagery there. And then when he talks about until you realize that it's just a story. So he's just talking, you know, he's talking about how his life, what is this, what is this thing like, you know? And uh, that's yeah. very, must have been very fun for a 16 year old. You're like, you're all over that shit, right? Because you're. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially, uh, you know, it's interesting you said the, uh, the imagery of the second, the second line, you know, and I could swing for you, right? Because that was a very popular phrase of my mum's. And whenever I crossed the line or did anything a bit wrong, the threat was, I will swing for you. Oh, <laughs> I like that. So that's, that's a, awesome. That's not, that's not a, that's a fist, not uh, someone. <laughs> 
<laughs> not someone putting themselves uh, no. on a rope for you. Oh no, no, that's what it. So it, what it means is um, they'll murder you, and then ah, they will be hanged, ah. hanged as a consequence. So it's <laughs> I'll I swing for you, which ah. is basically annoying me so much, I'm going to murder you, and then I'll get wow. hanged. Okay. <laughs> You guys, you, you British have a way of making everything sound sound clever. Charming. Turn of phrase, yeah, right, right. In my mind, I always because as a you know, I always assumed that don't they realize it's just a story? I I always assumed that there was a dig at organized religion hidden in there, but I, I could be completely wrong. Has he ever said anything ab- about that? Um, I always assumed that the Bible or the you know that the, the the that sort of thing came up, but I, I I could be completely misplaced. But in my mind, that's always what that was about. So Jim and Cope definitely has been on the record as saying many things um, of a uh, not not against religion, but against Christianity and that form right. of right, right. So there may have been an element to that, but that, I think that kind of came out later in okay. his music, like around time of jehovah kill and you know it, <laughs> yeah. <it> was, <laughs> yeah the clue in that name <laughs> but i think in uh around i i always thought this was kind of was a companion piece to sleeping gas it, it's another story about it's very very hard to do things with people who are not as committed as you are yeah so, yeah right right yeah I could swing for you. I can see the ve- you know the yeah. veins in my hands are showing through, like oh, tense. Yeah. Yeah. You- yeah, yeah. And cross, you know, basically the he wants something, and everybody else says they want slackers it. They from, really- uh, slackers from um, Northern England who just want to, you know. Leah, obviously, Ian McCulloch got off the couch at some point <laughs> and and decided, yeah. decided decided to rehearse. Um, I- Either that or he found people who were prepared to wait for him. Um, <laughs> yes, then, exactly. I think yeah. that's probably more right. Mm, yeah. All right, let's take a little break here. Let's hear a little, we'll hear a little message from our sponsor, and uh, we will be back in a minute with more. Uh, we're talking to Gary Pennington about uh, the teardrop explodes. Kilimanjaro, we'll be back in a minute. Is This Tomorrow is a webcomic drawn by two criminal psychopaths, currently being held at two separate federal maximum security prisons. The comics communicate through the use of a set of 5G implants, injected into them by Bill Gates. During the siege of Dumfuckistan in 2018, one inmate creates the written portion of the comic, and the other inmate creates the visual portion. Their thoughts are then interpreted, and put in visual form, by a supercomputer owned by Chinese cell phone maker Huawei. It's, this, tomorrow, dot, com. After being thoroughly vetted, and further encoded with mind-altering engrams by the Church of Scientology, and Vladimir Putin, the final product is uploaded to the World Wide Web, using telephone lines stretched across the completely flat ocean, of the completely flat Earth. For your viewing pleasure, it's this tomorrow dot com. Since 1993, when the world was round and the sky was blue, green, blue, no green, no blue, blue.
We are back. This is That Record Got Me High, and we are talking to uh, Gary Pennington all the way from across the pond. Talk, is that right? I say across the pond. Do you guys, like, roll your eyes if we say that here, that you're across the pond? No, no, it's good. Yeah, right. It's all right. pond, of course, but, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a big, it's a very large expanse. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the teardrop explodes, and we're on song number four. Let's listen to a little bit of Second Head. Yardbirds uh, 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 rave up right in the uh, right. right in the middle. That's cool, and I think we're finally getting into some psychedelic territory. But it's it's funny yeah. because the the music itself is not psychedelic, but the lyrics, a lot of it is very psychedelic. And this song, obviously, it is right uh, when he's talking about second head. Uh, I think that's what he's talking about. Do, yeah. Do, 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 I, I did not have a clue what this was about. I used to listen to it. I loved it. I got the bass riff. It was yeah, like, this yeah, is great. Right, I'm yeah, loving yeah. it, right? Yeah. But and the guitar riff, is, it's got a really great guitar riff, too. Um, syncopated guitar riff off in the left yep. channel, unless I have my headphones on backwards, but I, I think they're on right. Um, and then just this uh, another syncopated keyboard figure off, to, off in the right channel. And then, again, just this driving riff that just is just just continues to move forward uh, until you get to this uh, the, 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 with the rave up in the middle. Right, and the tom-toms as well. The yeah, little right. tom rolls. Yeah, yeah, sure. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but cool I, think, I think I think much like uh, Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Bunnymen, they're, they like to uh, stream. Some of this is kind of stream of consciousness, you know, and, and more like uh, that's what makes it to me psychedelic is like seen from the stars. I, I know the banisters leaking <laughs> that i can breathe freely that i can uh i wait for a sign hoping and praying hoping it's mine uh yeah so i think it's just all kind of uh, a little stream of consciousness and um a little uh you know psychedelic and then this next one uh, definitely because what are we talking about we're talking about uh, uh, poppies in the field yeah right right <laughs> <laughs> so more, innocent, more, innocent, more innocent little flowers, right? Yes, yeah. Let's let's listen to that.
very 60s things in there. The backwards backwards guitar. Um, yeah, uh, that's great, though. I love the guitar-organ interplay going on in this one, though. It's really cool. Poppy's it, in the field. Is. Don't ask me what that means. Yeah, see, so Gary, uh, don't don't feel bad. He doesn't even. He said, "Don't even ask me what it means." Oh, he so. knows what it means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's being coy, isn't oh, he? Um, indeed, he is. <laughs> well, I can honestly say, at sixteen, I didn't know. Oh no, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I would have had an idea, but I, I, you know, for me, it was always drugs were always some sort of conceptual thing, you know, especially hard drugs. Um, was like you know it was it didn't really affect my life. So so Gary, at this point, uh, were you playing guitar already at this point at sixteen? Yeah, very badly. Um, okay, well, guitar and welcome uh, to welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, I played it very badly. Um, now, but listening to this, it didn't make you want to sell that and, and get like a, a synthesizer and spray your hair up a little, or ah, of course it did. Yes, yes. I mean. <laughs> It, well, it's a funny thing. Um, I kind of listened. I always, I was always a fan of the Tear Up Explodes, but at the same time, I liked a lot of other bands, obviously. And a lot right. of the other bands I liked. Eventually, it turned out they were goths, even though they weren't. Yeah. They weren't called goths at yeah. the time, right? Yeah. It wasn't that word didn't exist. <laughs> so, like um, around this time and a bit later, like The Cure and yeah. uh, Susie, right? And Susie's the, uh, the uh, Damned, even right? Yeah, yeah, right. the Damned. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the birthday party, who oh, come yeah. from Australia, sure. you know. Oh, yeah. And they're uh, sort of, they oh, were oh, they're uh, sort of in a league of their own. The birthday party, yeah. they sort yeah. of those records are very very dark and intense and strange. Um, uh, yes. They don't, <laughs> they, don't, they don't they don't fit in the category of of you know. There's something different going on there that's just beyond goth. There's almost like a I don't know. When we do a birthday party record, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, so here's, here's one of my comments on the birthday party, not Julian Cope, but the strangest thing to me is the fact that Nick Cave has become the national treasurer of the uh, UK. I, I would have never predicted that in the early 80s. No. <laughs> right? He's become this, like, gentleman, you know. Poet, so poet laureate, you know, right. Yes. Respectable yeah. author. That's so true. That's so true. Everybody uh, loves him. GPs, whatever. They love him. Yeah. David, well, the David Bowie uh, vacuum. He left a vacuum when he died. Someone had to fill it up. That's true. Yeah, that's true, true, true. (laughs) All right, so so now we get... Go ahead, Gary. Last quick one. That was my favorite song of the album. I love it. Oh, was it really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, just very, like I said, sophisticated, uh, deceptively sophisticated things going on, you know, uh, for a... uh, Ostensibly, you know, poppy-sounding uh, thing. There is a lot of. Uh, so, before we move on, would we say that? I mean, this is obviously Julian Cope's band, um, based on you know what you read about it. Um, was is it the same with Echo and the Bunnymen, or is there more of a cooperative element in that ensemble from the same town? I I think very very much of a cooperative thing. They were much more of a band. They were. Okay. Yeah. Will Sargent, think, yeah. Will, uh, Will Sargent, the guitar, the other guitar player, is that's like very. That's what I thought. Their sound, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. This, this is definitely somebody's brainchild, and that's Julian Cope, you know, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So Les Patterson, the bass guitarist and Bunny Man, he came up with the name of the album. 
of Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro, indeed. Uh, oh wait, uh, did you hear? Did you hear what the original, what the working title of it was? Did, did you read that? Yes. Yeah, what was Everybody it? wants to shag the teardrop explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and the ch- they changed it to Kilimanjaro after they'd been out on tour and realized that it wasn't ironic. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and, no. You know, when they originally said it, you know, they couldn't. Yeah, right. They, no, no. Right. Yeah. Uh, see, that's <laughs> something me and Barry could say. Everyone wants yeah. to shag Robin Barry. Yeah. Everyone would know what they're wrong. Tongue in cheek, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And Kilimanjaro, um, mount- <laughs> see, if they're talking about the, the mountain in Africa. And yep. uh, how did that, what does it have to do with the proceedings that we're talking about? Well, going off what I read, or what I heard, actually, it was a Julian Cope interview, um, they wanted to come up with something unique and special to represent the album. Uh, and they were struggling. Uh, okay. And Les Patterson said, what about Kilimanjaro? Yeah, right. A little, and, and make it a little bit um, a puzzle. Puzzling. Why? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Poppy's in the field. Don't ask me what it means. Right. <laughs> All right, so now we get, now we get more horns. And maybe I think this, um, uh, Gary, also some of that we were talking about that childhood angst he had is definitely apparent in this song here. Uh, Let's listen to a little bit of Went Crazy. going on there i hear um disco because it's got like a disco bass line and it's got like uh um a keyboard line that sounds like it's a question mark and the mysterians so back to the 60s again and then the guitar is like gang of four slash you know slash just sort of angry chords um yeah this is probably some of the heaviest guitar on the the record yeah yeah Yeah, a little more bite to it uh, so what do you think of the lyrics, though, uh, uh, Gary? Well, this is what I was saying. I think, you know, these, this, the, well, this song and the next two songs, very much about being younger and about... This, these three songs are kind of a sequencing of childhood in some senses, thematically anyway. Okay. And it, I, re- I always read this one as being kind of advice to parents about what you should do with your kids, but it's ironic. And it kind of slips into nonsense towards the end, and it, it, there are bits that are in French, which I think I can't think of any reason. I, do you know what? I, I, maybe he was struggling to make it rhyme, and he thought, "Well, I can make it rhyme in French." French. So. Yeah, right. But, yeah, and it's also it's also kind of har- a little harsh at the end. 
if, if you have a daughter, bounce her on your knee. If you yes. have a son, send the blighter off to sea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, indeed. What? <laughs> he, he may have had issues there. <laughs> well, I, I, Gary, I don't know. You probably know this. Did you read about he had something that happened to him uh, when he turned nine that was very uh, the a disaster. That was the day of the Aberfan disaster of 1966. Yeah. And he was with his grandmother. Uh, so he was near there where that it was a disaster it was like a collapse of a mountain slope that killed like 116 children and 28 adults because it like sort of went through the school it like it like just uh swallowed up the school and he said uh that that was a key event of his childhood and uh yeah so i think you're definitely right he's got some he's going through some childhood issues in these next couple of songs uh, yeah i think so and um he uh he said in you know in head on um one of the things that he said in that was that uh he kind of got kicked out by his parents when he was 18 um because he'd not done as well in his a levels you know he couldn't go to the university there i think there was some sense that they were not being able to realize their ambitions through him and uh he, he kind of went off to to liverpool i think to teach a training college although i can't really remember okay right since I read it, but it's something like that, and uh, so I think he, he he definitely had some kind of unresolved issues with his family at different yeah. times. Yeah, well, he ended up showing all them, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right, so we have we have more childhood angst here. Let's listen to a little bit of Brave Boys Keep Their Promises. You have to remember that he's make they're making it up. This is this yeah, is yeah, yeah, this yeah, is definitely. this is that being sort of uh plus that there's a the pulsing krautrock thing is in there again as well. Um with the it takes a long time to to change. And so he's uh definitely still toying with that repetitive influence it, it was definitely an influence on him, I think. Yeah. Uh, for sure. For sure. Bouncing babies. <laughs> I'm looking, yeah, at, the so we next, have I'm the looking brave, at the next. A uh, brave boys keep their promises. Well, we have brave boys keep their yeah. promises. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. Now we have. We all start life. What we start as innocent bouncing babies, but then things get dark. Your parents throw your ass out of your house, and you got to figure <laughs> out. You move in with Ian McCulloch, and then you know things go to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's listen to a little bit of bouncing babies.
They cling to things when they've got nothing they can believe in. <laughs> and I, I love that riff, the, the, the guitar riff in there. The chord, the second chord is really, really great. Um, this song, because this was produced at a couple of different sessions and different players, I'm not sure which set, which guitar player is is on this one, but it definitely has a, it's got a meteor sound to it. Um, and man, that's a, just a fantastic combination of sounds uh, in that yeah. one. It's um, So what I'm led to believe is that even the ones where Mick Finkler is marked as playing the guitar, I think Alan Gill overdubbed, you know, re-recorded it. Actually re-recorded parts. it. So really, it's Alan Gill throughout. I mean, right. it's, it sounds like the same guitar player. The tone is the same pretty much right. throughout. It's like... right. I think you're. Pro- I think you're probably right. And um, but the, the the other thing that's unusual about both this song and the next song, actually. So again, you wonder about the sequencing, which is, uh, you know, Julian Cope said that Pete Burns wrote the lyrics for this song. So um, I don't know whether that's true or not. But uh, Pete Burns, you know, he became famous in the eighties. He did a few songs. He was a scenester around Liverpool at that oh, time. Oh, okay, all right. And he, he did that song, "You Spin Me Right Round, Right Round." Like a, really? Oh, 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 dead or alive? Yeah. Dead or alive? Dead or alive? That's it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. We, we we all know that one. That's okay. It. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's so one that, of the. That's so one of the. That one is one of the. You know, greatest dance videos of ever. You know, put that on. Yeah. Just. <laughs> it's 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 it, you can't even say whether it's it's great or it's terrible. It's just so iconic that it's. <laughs> Amazing. However, it's definitely great. There's no yeah, doubt yeah, about yeah. that. No, no, no. It is. Yeah, for sure. So, so Gary, when he's saying it's true, it's true. All the things they tell you, he's being sarcastic, right? Because he's saying no, it's not true, right? It's sort of yes. like, yeah, yeah. I think so. And and then of course the next song, uh, books, uh, was a crucial three left over yeah. because Echo of the Bunnymen recorded it as. Redditing books. Reddit books, that's an echo in the Bunnyman uh, right. tune. Yeah, exactly. And and this is a, a bit of a banger, as you might say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, very different songs. Very different. I, you know, if you listen to the echo in the Bunnyman, it, it's very low key. Yeah, it's it is. Like it is. Here, here is probably one of the more rocking things on the record. Let's listen to a little bit of books.
So are those meant to be real horns or are those synthesized I know, horns? I know, right? They, they are real real horns. And um, one of the guys who played the horns uh, was uh, called Hurricane Smith, I think. Okay. Yes. And um, he produced the first Pink Floyd album. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And apparently he was very fond of telling the Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Really? Yes, yes, yeah. He'd been a record producer back in the 60s, and they got him, he played trumpet on the Teardrop Explosive. And I think he also toured with them. I think he even toured to the U.S. with them. Well, I'm not wow. totally sure. that is such a strange coincidence, considering Julian Cope's, you know, um, who he became after this, you know, sort yes. of a modern day, if Sid Barrett sort of kept his didn't go off the deep end character. didn't go completely yeah right yeah he didn't do that <laughs> a, a, a more unusual like you say a bit of a banger an unusual song that steady drum beat all the way through it always makes me think it makes me think of like northern soul type yeah, 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 yeah. oh soul. yeah for sure oh, yeah, okay. Okay. definitely you know, right. something you can really dance to yeah right exactly which also became which also a lot of bands sort of lifted that and used that in the 80s and the later 80s a lot of new uh new wave yeah, bands the, sort of on the picked up first that pretenders thing. record there's uh 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 Mystery Achievement on the first Pretenders record does exact does that, and it's you're right, Northern Soul, but it's also Northern Soul. I think referencing Motown. Uh, yeah. I think it's going yeah. w- all the way back, and the horns yeah. in here as well. There's a there's definitely whether they know we it or it, not. We call it Motown, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, Motown, Northern Soul. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, but yeah, Northern Soul's got its own thing too. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so now we get uh, a lot. A lot of these songs. Uh, they he seems to explore like the relationship, like the politics of relationships. But there's sort of a sheen of uh, a detachment over all of them, uh, which I feel also in this next one here too. Listen to a little bit of the Thief of Baghdad. something in there that I had not heard before in this record, which is uh, picture, imagine Jim Morrison singing that, and because the instrumentation you have is very similar to The Doors, and the vibe in that, I think, is similar to The Doors, so uh, okay is it, did yeah. Julian ever cop to uh, um, we find The Doors as sort of they they get trashed a lot in um, by a lot of 
uh, people verbally. Um, they're but, out, they impl- but they also influenced they were very, a lot of very they, in, did, they yeah. were very influential, and a lot of people were listening to Doors Records, and might it might have been a guilty pleasure. Oh, I think it, it wasn't a guilty pleasure back then. I think in the, in the, in the you know in the late seventies and the early eighties, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen were on the record many times. Uh, oh yeah, uh, that's right. You know, that's the, right. The Doors. In fact, they did, didn't they do an album with Ray Manza Records? Oh, did they? They did, yeah. and they covered uh, "People Are Strange." They covered that, right? Well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they only, and quite often, he used to do a thing where, in the middle of an Echo and the Bunnymen song, he'd do a breakdown, and he'd. he'd, he'd convert it into a door song and then uh, they put back into the echo of the bunny well, song at the end thank you, you know? that, that answers my question that was i was not, ra- I was not wrong it was on all their radar i'm sure yeah i think uh, i think all those liverpool bands you know they, they, the, the phrase that they were calling it neo psychedelia and, and they were yeah. referencing you know the velvet underground and the door yeah 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 for sure yeah right which right, so- which is oddly enough <clears throat> it seems like probably from afar you know if you were in Liverpool in 1978 seems like oh the uh, the Doors and and the Velvet Underground they would have known each other and, and hung out but I'm yeah. that, n- not not the case at all you know they uh, um, yeah. they probably hated um, they probably hated oh, each other for oh, worlds apart worlds apart <laughs> yeah all right so just just when I said uh, about being so cold and detached this one I think is kind of like a love song a a, a legit love song. Uh, I agree with you. I agree right? with you. Which which is almost weird. It's like I'm looking for the little, you know, aha thing in it, but I don't think there is. Let's listen to a little bit of When I Dream. brings me back this is the song is a super earworm you know and it just when i when i was listening to this i'm like oh my god i remember this so clearly this song you so now um was this in in like 1980 in england were these things was were they played on the radio on the regular radio would you hear this on the radio uh, not so much um not until reward came out so when the album first came out they were like they were um the music press loved them, you know, the enemy, etc. Um, but they were, right. uh, I don't, they were kind of an underground band. You know. Students right. mainly like them. Yeah, um, well, and, like you, students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm, when I dream, even though it's it's a long song, seven minutes, um, it's got the most overt pop sound of any of the songs on the record, where there's no element 
that's trying to tell you that there's something else going on. Um, and that seems to be something that happens in their songs where I, it, it, brave boys keep their promises. There's a there's a, a weird little keyboard break in there that um, that is dissonant. And so it's it's like a, a little bit of intentional sabotage every time to say, okay, there's there's more going on here than than just what's happening on the surface. But yeah, I, right, yeah. when I dream, um, so you had, had uh, so so Gary, you had this record, but then Reward came. Uh, it was their single, and it ended up being that was kind of their breakthrough, right? Yes. So, and they actually re-released. So we should listen to it, uh, Barry. You got it queued I up do. in there. We yeah, should listen sure. to Reward. because well, they just be, just before you do one last thing about When I Dream, okay. which is although I totally agree with you, it's just, it is a love song and it's straightforward. I do think that sabotage element does creep in. There's a at little the bit end, at yeah, about at the five minutes yeah, right at the yeah, end yeah. where it changes, remember, changes yeah. key or something. I do remember now. I was laying on the couch listening to it on my headphones, and about yeah, at about five minutes in the keyboard starts to get weird and it starts playing yes. something starts something that you go what's he doing he's playing a what basically in musical terms he's playing a, a minor second which means he's playing a note one half step above the root which is going to be dissonant and yeah. so yeah it's it, the first part of the song yeah the hit single and then i now i remember laying there going oh there's something odd happening there that's it. And then he starts singing about, and when I scream, I scream Dream about, about you. you. So maybe, maybe it's a it's leading you down the garden path with this one uh-huh. in the beginning. Oh, cheerful, happy pop song, and then gradually things deteriorate. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, relationships with Julian Cope. <laughs> Why the teardrop explodes? It's a metaphor for the band. There you go. You never know. Uh- all right, so this song was eventually added to the record because it was such a big hit, uh, and it's the it's kind of like the ultimate. Uh, we're making it like like uh, can we survive? You know, success. And I guess the answer was no. They <laughs> they couldn't as a band. But uh, let's because they only did one other record after this, right? Was it just one more, and that was uh, it? They rec- they released an album called Wilder, and they did sessions for a third album, uh, and they managed to get some. They released some material from it, and he reused some of the material on later solo albums. But right, that was okay. basically it. Yeah. All right, so let's <laughs> listen to uh, their biggest hit, Reward.
What a great song. It's, it's just, a great, like, it's, moves, it's, and it's a it's great, really great song, but you can hear the production is more sophisticated. Oh, and the horn, the horns actually sound like horns now. They sound like <laughs> horns. And I think the horns are actually playing, they're playing, at some points, they're playing harmonies and not in unison, um, which they tend to do on uh, um, the rest of the album, or on the, the album proper. Uh, they right, play right. just, you know, together. Uh, definitely a step up um, on that as far as um, an a, you know attempt to make something more more pleasing. Um, he does mention Howard Hughes in there, which is very is very funny. <coughs> was Howard I Hughes like- was Howard Hughes known to be a, a, a complete nut job by 1980? Had we already figured had we figured that out at that point? We had. Um, there was a documentary. In the you know, I'll tell you why I'm so definite about it. Because I didn't know how Hughes was. You know, I was like 13 yeah, sure, or whatever. Yeah, sure, yeah. But there was a documentary about him and the fact that you know he'd gone into that very reclusive lifestyle. And my mum was greatly affected by it because I think you know. Oh. She may have held, held a candle for Howard Hughes. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, because he was a heroic figure in American, you know, he was uh, he was like held up as this, you know, uh, scion of, 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 you know, American power and American uh, 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 ingenuity. And then, mm. you know, he's in he's he's grown his hair long and he's got his fingernails, too. Um, yeah, that was not a that was not what people wanted to, to know about Howard Hughes. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But uh, heading back to Reward, it's got the Northern Soul drums on again. Yeah, which I it like. does. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But on that, but then the doors, it's got the doors in there as well. It's another, the keyboard. Once I, once you hear that thing, the fact that there's the keyboard in one channel and the guitar in the other channel, and yeah. that that's, that's, when, that's what Doors records sound like, um, soup to nuts. And... It's uh, it's hard to escape that particular like oh, you know that's what that thing is, and so it's not necessarily a I'm, um, what did I say question mark on the Mysterians. It's uh, it's it's L A from a couple of years later. Um, it's great too. That's a fantastic song. Yeah, really good. Um, apparently originally written by Alan Gill, and he. he brought it in he left the band more or less as soon as um, Kilimanjaro was released he, he decided the touring lifestyle wasn't for him right um, uh, but he, he he'd written reward all that shagging uh, was wearing him out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly he thought he'd signed up for a trip to Africa to climb the mountain <laughs> yeah right uh, anyway, um, uh, so uh, he, he and he and Cope reworked that, so it was a, it was a Gil Cope co-writing in the end. I think. Oh, good, good uh, for him. Okay, all right. It's a shame, shame that he left the band. You know, you kind of think, well, maybe, although probably he would fall over Cope in the end. Nearly everybody did. And um, Wilder, <laughs> <laughs> right, right? Yeah, right. How does Wilder hold up compared to this album? Uh, it's it's really different. I like it, um, but it's almost like an album by a different band. I mean, it's effectively a Julian Cope solo record yeah. with some people playing instruments. Yeah. And, okay. Okay. Um, he, he 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 wrote everything on it. I think he played nearly everything on it, um, apart from maybe the drums. So yeah, it's yeah. a completely different. And uh, I don't think. I don't so think this is know. really the only band related album that he ever made yeah pretty well it depends he, he said things like um 
So he did an album called uh, St. Julian. Right. Oh, yeah. I remember I remember that record, St. Julian. Yeah, and he got together a fairly, what he called a band then. And they, they were, they were a very tight kind of rock and roll band. And some of the people in that band, I, I think, were, you know, kind of um, very accomplished musicians. Uh, the guy playing guitar was really good. I can't remember his name anymore. And uh, the drummer, I think, may have even been with the Smiths. I'm, I, I'm right. not sure. It okay. might have been after, after he'd left the Smiths. So... They were a, um, they were a very, they, they were a band, and he, you know he did that for a few years, and then I think he got sick of trying to be a pop star again. Yeah, it was his last. He had a go at trying to be a pop star again. Is how he described it, and then he realized right. he didn't want to be. Yeah, it's exhausting. It, it's exhausting. It's so exhausting trying to be a pop star, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, I suspect. I suspect that that to right now it is because I, I'm <laughs> yeah, not right. sure exactly how you. Uh, I'm not I sure how you do how that. You uh, right. Well, Gary, uh, thank you so much for bringing this record. I don't think I, I, I don't think this is something that would have come across our radar unless someone, you know, really, um, uh, you know, brought it up and said to do it. But it really definitely, uh, like, like we said, because it came out so in 1980 and you could hear how it influenced so much of what came on later in the 80s. It was definitely um, influential, I think, to a lot of uh, a lot of different people and uh it's cool. So thank you very much for bringing it. And you're uh, you're a patron of the show, too, aren't you, Gary? I am indeed. Oh well, thank you so thank much. You. That's why I knew there was something I liked about you aside from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, we really appreciate our patrons. And uh, don't forget. Go ahead. I take the time to try and promote your show to everybody I can. Thank I you. Lawson, I mean, a lot of the stuff you've covered has been great music that I've loved. So. Yeah. Uh, thank you. you know, I hope you people are listening to Gary, what Gary is saying here, because this is how you should be. Yeah. All right. Um, I also want to remind you, uh, wherever you listen to us, subscribe. Don't forget to right. subscribe to us, because so, that helps. And if you listen on Apple, write a review. Do a rating right. and write a little review of us. Just tell us how awesome. Maybe right. call, call Gary up, and he'll, he'll help you tell you how awesome <laughs> we are in case you need it. Um, yeah. Also, uh, you could go on Instagram. We're at that record got me high. Uh, Facebook that record got me high. And also, uh, don't forget that Facebook group uh, got me high. That Facebook uh, group on- got me high, right? That's usually where yeah. I post the episode first, approximately thirty seconds before I post it anywhere else. So you get a big <laughs> half a, a minute lead yeah. on on everyone else on uh, when the, the episode gets posted. Oh. Guys, have you got time for one last crazy story about the T-Rex? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's do it. I, I, can't believe, I can't believe I didn't tell you this. So, lying on my bed, listening to the T-Rex explode, 16 years old, there's a bit of a thing in Britain where people, uh, their mothers, like the hairdressers, they, they stop going to the hairdressers when they get to a certain age. What happens <laughs> is hairdressers come to their house and cut their hair. Okay. And the guy who used to cut my mum's hair, uh, every now and again, he'd cut my hair as well, if I'd not been bothered going to the barbers. And he came into the room, I was listening to the Tear-Up Explodes, he looked at the album cover, and he said, oh, I used to roadie for them. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, and I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, I said, he said, it's Julian Cope, oh isn't it? Oh my god, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Right, he was a very square guy. Okay, yeah. and uh, it turned out he used to he used to cut hair for Led Zeppelin back in the seventies, <laughs> and he'd, he'd worked his way down the hierarchy. Right, to, to, the- right, right. <laughs> Bouncing down the stairs, the rock and roll hierarchy to yeah. 
a, a, an unsigned band in 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 Liverpool. Um, no, even even worse. Now he's doing a a sixteen year old Gary Pennington there. Well, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna say you said he's a very square guy. He probably figured out eventually. You know what? I'd rather just go and cut hair in somebody's house and just have it be calm and not have to yeah. deal with coke addled. Um, you know, rock stars, uh, uh, megalomaniacal, uh, right. megalomaniacal rock stars. One hundred. Wow, that's, that's that is truly a great story. They invade your life when you least expect it. <laughs> I yeah. was worried. When you said a story, you laying on your bed at 16, I thought it was going to be a very right. different story. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in, well, I have to say, when you say the hairdresser came in your room. <laughs> uh, you know. the, right. the, mind, the mind tends to go in certain directions. But uh, I, have to, I have to thank you, Gary, because this is a really great record. And I had not paid nearly enough attention to it. And I have a lot more respect for it now. And for Julian Cope, frankly, after hearing this record. Um, yes, same, same with me. Thank you so much. And continuing our European tour, Barry, next week we have uh, we go uh, across the pond again from the UK once more. Our guest, Mark Williams, will be on to talk about one of my all-time favorite bands, The Damned and The Black Album. The Black Album. Speaking of uh, goth. Yes, bands that started punk and sort of got yes. uh, yeah. So that's all. You're, I'm, I, I guess you're a fan uh, also, um, Gary. Absolutely, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again. Thanks so much for being on the show. You were yeah, a great guest. You, uh, and thanks you all for listening. Once again, that is Barry Stock. And that is Rob Elba. We are that record got me high. We'll see you guys next week. We are out.
making my love come on down. 